the lady went to see her pastor. She was a little bit older, 65, had been married for almost 40 years. And she said, Pastor, I'm finally going to divorce the old coot. And the pastor was a little bit surprised. And he said, well, sis, didn't you make a vow to love him, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, better or worse? She said, it's been a lot poorer and a lot worser than I ever thought it would be. Time's funny that way. I guess on your, depending on your perspective, time can have a way of causing you to look back on things with a certain nostalgia and an appreciation, or it might cause you to look back on some things with a certain amount of bitterness and heartache. Time's just funny that way. By way of introduction tonight, I feel like I need to give you some context. Where are my next people at? Nexters, that was just a little weak. Where are all my next people at? <laughs> there we go. We started a series the first of the year in Next called Starting Over. And it's um, all material comes from Andy Stanley. And um, the first week we talked about three myths to starting over. The first one is the experience myth, myth and that That says that experience makes me wiser. Experience does not make you wiser. Experience makes you tired. Experience makes you poorer. Experience makes you older. But it does not make you wiser. Evaluated experience makes you wiser. Another myth we talked about is the know better myth. That now that I know better, I'll do better. But we all know that's not true. Because we know what we should eat. But we know what we do eat, and we know how often we should exercise, and we know how often we don't exercise. Knowing better doesn't necessarily equal doing better. But the third myth is the hard one, and that's the time myth. And that one that is, is the myth that says time is my enemy, that I have to hurry up. I've got to get started. I've got to get back in, I've got to jump back in, and, and time is, is rushing by. But it's a myth, especially whenever you're starting over. Time is not your enemy. Time is your friend. And it seems like whenever you look at Scripture that a lot of biblical greats had to endure waiting periods, these transitional times between a dream or a promise a limbo period, if you will, a, a time between their round one and their round two where God was present but not always active in a visible way. And then sometimes years later, they experience a fulfillment or a success. i got to tell my Grace family here tonight, I believe in transparency and I certainly believe in honesty. I didn't particularly enjoy that lesson in Next very much at all. Because that lesson, especially whenever it comes to the time myth, implies that I, if I want the lessons of the Bible 
about those biblical greats and their miracles to apply to me and to apply to my life, then that means the lessons about their processes and their transition times must also apply. If I want the biblical lessons about dreams being fulfilled and promises coming to pass to apply to me and to apply to my life, then that means the biblical lessons about time and waiting must also apply. Not a fan. Not a fan at all. But when I look at the lives of characters like Abraham and Sarah and Moses and David and Paul, it seems to me that the in-between time matters. It matters a great deal. The in-between time matters to God and the development of their character. So it should matter to me too, even when I don't really like it all that much, Sister Melanie. And so I want to talk to you tonight for just a little while about the in-between time. And to get there, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures about David. We'll look at a couple of passages about him. David's someone who really got it right during a very difficult in-between time in his life. And then I want to give you a couple of big ideas to consider how David handled his in-between time. And then just before we end tonight... I want to give you five strategies for surviving the in-between. So we're going to read a couple of passages of Scripture, and I'm just going to ask you to remain seated. But let's let's read this together. Now, this is uh, 1 Samuel 16. Samuel has been sent by God to the house of Jesse for the purpose of anointing David to be the new king of Israel. And Samuel doesn't know that it's going to be David. He's just been told, go to Jesse's house, and I'm going to tell you which one you should anoint. And so it says, in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. One by one, they've come before him, and each one, God has told Samuel, that's not the one. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all of the sons you have? Did you maybe, did you forget one somewhere? Maybe. Oh, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied. <laughs> Weren't even thinking about that guy, but he's out in the field. He's, he's watching the sheep and the goats. You send for him at once, Samuel said. Because we're not going to sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And so the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint that guy. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. I want us to look at one more scripture before we get into this tonight. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And I'm really going to blow you nexters' minds. We're going to read from the King James Version. 2 Samuel chapter 5, it says, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years but in Hebron, he reigned over Judah 
seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all of Israel and Judah. So for six years or seven years and six months, seven and a half years, he ruled over Judah in Hebron. And then for 33 years over all of Israel and Judah, the in-between time. The historian Josephus tells us that David was 10 years old whenever he was first anointed by Samuel. Modern commentaries put that later, that they say David's age was closer to 15. Whatever age he actually was, he obviously wasn't considered old enough to be a part of important family meetings. At the time, the age of majority in Israel was 20. At 20, a man was considered old enough to go into battle, and David definitely wasn't that old because in the next chapter over, 1 Samuel 17 tells the story of David and Goliath, and David wasn't old enough to be at the battle with his brother. So he was younger than 20 here in 1 Samuel 16. I'm, I'm taking a little bit of time with this age stuff, and I want you to hang with me. I know nobody likes waiting. But uh, David is anointed at 15, maybe younger, maybe a little older. And David doesn't begin to rule in Hebron until he's 30 years old. And at that point in time, it's over one tribe, just one tribe, the tribe of Judah. And he rules there in Hebron over one tribe for seven and a half years. Then after seven and a half years, David is made king over all of Israel. And he's somewhere around 37 years of age. So that's 15 years or more of delay, 15 years or more of delay between the time of his anointing and the time of the fulfillment. There's some in-between time for David. So here we go, for those of you taking notes, and Jesus really likes it when you take notes, and the devil absolutely hates it. So I would encourage you to take some notes. So here's your first big idea. David's conduct reflected his calling, but not his circumstances. David's conduct reflected his calling. We're talking about the in-between time. His conduct reflected his calling, not his circumstances. It took 15 years for David to get from the place where God anointed him to the place where men recognized him. Now, I want to ask you a question. I don't know that I necessarily know the right answer. But I want to ask you a question. When did David become king? At the time of his anointing by God or at the time of his recognition and acceptance by men? Which reality carries more weight? The reality that God speaks or the reality that men see? When did David become king? In most instances, and we know David's story. Most of you have been in Sunday school a lot. We know David's story. In most instances, and he had his moments, but in most instances, he conducted himself according to his anointing. Not, no matter his circumstance, whether he was in a cave or whether he was in the palace, whether he was on a battlefield or whether he was on the run, whether he was in favor with the powers that be or out of favor, he acted like a king. Even though in the eyes of men, 
he wasn't yet. During the in-between. During the in-between, David aligned his conduct with the calling and his purpose with God instead of with his credibility in the eyes of men. As far as man was concerned, David wasn't king yet. There were stipulations to be met. There were protocols that had to be followed. There were boxes that had to be checked. And that's just how human affairs work in this world. And most of the time, that's a good thing because you certainly don't want, some, want someone unqualified ascending to high office. I'm just going to leave that right there. But in the interim, in the meantime, during the waiting, during the pause, during the delay, in the in-between time, David still conducted himself as one would expect fitting of a king with loyalty, with honor, with decency, with good judgment, with patience, with self-confidence. David cared for the people that were under his charge. He defended them. He took care of their needs. All, all the while, he was running from Saul. He was hiding in caves, and he was living with Philistines. But he still conducted himself as a king. His conditions during his wait were less than ideal. I hope somebody's listening to me tonight. There's probably about 20 of you here tonight that are waiting The conditions of his in-between time were less than ideal. Yet he still still aligned his conduct with his calling. He didn't allow his circumstances to dictate his behavior. Instead, he aligned his behavior with the anointing that had been placed on his life. David managed to not just survive, but he actually managed to thrive during his in-between time because he understood something that held him stable in any circumstance. And that was this, my circumstances do not define me. My circumstance does not decide who I am. I am who God says I am. And I may not wear the crown yet, but God says I'm anointed. I may not hold the title yet, but God's mark of approval is on my life. I may not be sitting on the throne in the capital city yet, but my position is already established by Almighty God. My circumstances do not dictate my behavior, and they do not decide my identity. My identity is decided by who God says I am. So David aligned his conduct in keeping with his calling, not his circumstances. The other big idea I want you to get tonight is that David lived in a 3D reality. A 3D reality. He was dismissed, he was despised, and he was delayed. Let's talk about how David was dismissed. He was undervalued. You know, David wasn't even invited to the anointing party. How would you feel? The guy is there to anoint you, and you don't even get an invitation to the party. I'm offended. Dismissed by his family. Too, too inconsequential to even merit consideration. Too low on the totem pole, David. Sorry. Culture and tradition put David at the bottom. Even while he was providing a necessary and valuable service. It's not like David was sloughing off. 
It's not like he's sitting down by the riverbank with a fishing line tied around his toe, reading the latest edition of the Hebron Times. I don't know. David was working. David was providing a service. David was doing something valuable to the family. He's out watching the sheep and watching the goats. He's making sure the family's assets are managed and protected. He's, David's working while everybody else is meeting. Tell me that doesn't get on your nerves. Oh, okay. Y'all not carnal. It doesn't get on your nerves whenever you're the only one working and everybody else is meeting. It bothers me just a little. But even his hard work and his dedication are overlooked. He's dismissed by his own family. Then he gets anointed by Samuel. And you know what happens to him? After he gets anointed, his dad's name was Jesse. Jesse sets David up with the biggest bedroom in the house. He goes out and he buys David a brand new chariot. Candy apple red with chrome spinners. David's brothers bow to him as he walks through the house and whenever they sit down at mealtime, they give David the best and, and largest portions of whatever they had for supper. Everybody from all around comes by the house to see David and just sit and listen to his wisdom and gaze at his beautiful eyes. That ain't what happened. That's not what happened at all. You know what? David went right back to doing what he was doing before God made this public announcement, this is my guy. David went right back to doing what he was doing before. David got sent right back into the field to spend time with the sheep and with the goats. And I, I, I thought it would be a big deal to people. You know, hey, this is the next king of Israel, but apparently it wasn't. You know, oh, hey, David, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Hmm, congratulations, Flash. Now get out there and tend the sheep and goats. David was dismissed. He wasn't trusted by his brothers. They didn't trust his motives whenever he showed up at the battlefield where Goliath was challenging the nation of Israel. They didn't trust his motives. David wasn't even respected by his enemy. You know, Goliath was offended that they sent David out to do battle. You know, David was probably somewhere between 14 and 19 years old whenever that happened. Goliath's a trained warrior from his youth, probably somewhere between his late 30s or early 40s, experienced but not out of his prime yet. And they send this young punk, this little stripling, out to do battle with this train. It's like J.J. Watt of the Houston Texans versus 12-year-old Justin Bieber. Are you kidding me? Goliath is offended. David was dismissed by some of the most important people in his life. He was dismissed. David was also despised. I'm talking to somebody right now. He was unappreciated. You know, David had done a lot for King Saul. He really had. He had defeated Goliath. He had defeated a whole bunch of Philistines. He had remained loyal to Saul in spite of Saul's mistreatment. He played his harp, chased the tormenting spirits away. And he had remained loyal to Saul even when he probably could have stirred up a rebellion on his own because the people loved him. 
Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. But in spite of his loyalty, in spite of his hard work, in spite of doing everything right and ethically, Saul despised him. Hated him. Feared him. David also did a lot for a man named Nabal. One summer, David and his men lived in the neighborhood of a rich rancher. His name was Nabal. And he had herds that numbered in the thousands. David's men provided a very valuable service. They hunted predators that would feed on his flocks. And then they guarded Nabal's uh, flocks against thieves. And even Nabal's employees were well aware of the benefits David had provided. But David and his men were working without a contract. So they hoped to only receive some, some food in consideration for the services rendered. So it comes shearing time. It's payday, right? And David sends some of his men to request just a little bit of the profits from Nabal. And, and, and you know, hey, listen, we, we've done a little bit for you. Maybe you can do a little bit for us. And Nabal shows some extremely poor judgment and some extremely poor character and just curses David instead and sent David's men away with nothing. I want you to take just a minute to consider the stress under which David was living at that time in his life. See, first, he was responsible for a community of 600 families. Maybe you are here tonight and you know the stress of providing for a family, but David had a family of thousands of people to provide for. And second, he was in danger of constant death. He was being hunted by a powerful and irrational king named Saul. He was a fugitive, so he couldn't settle down for very long. He couldn't establish a business. He couldn't have regular employment. He couldn't build a base of repeat customers. He had no time to develop a brand. While providing for his community, many times he just had to drop everything and start over because he was on the run. And then finally, his largest supporter, Samuel, passed away, and he couldn't go to the funeral. That's a lot of stress. And it's against that backdrop that David, expecting to receive only just a few, few weeks' worth of food in return for valuable services rendered, receives nothing but insults instead. David was dismissed. David was despised. But i got to tell you, those things are relatively easy compared to the last one. Because the last... Reality that David had to live with was the reality that he was delayed. David had to wait. Fifteen years between being anointed until he was recognized over the tribe of Judah. Leader of one tribe. And then he would live in Hebron and remain in that role for seven and a half years. I've got to wonder during that seven and a half years if David looked around and thought, well, is this all there is? I mean, Samuel anointed me to be king over Israel, but it's been a long time. So is this it? Is this all that it's ever going to be? Did I miss it somewhere? Did I not do something right? Is that why it's taking so long? Did I go through all of that stuff with Saul and, and try to maintain my integrity and, and, and act kingly and maintain true to my anointing? Did I go through all of that mess for nothing? Because this is all that it's going to be. 
There's no record of it in Scripture. I'm just wondering out loud if David was human. Did David's delay ever cause him to doubt? Man, y'all are quiet. Has your delay ever caused you to doubt? Mine has. Absolutely. And David's delay wasn't an easy, restful time either. During that time, he had to manage a constant civil war between Judah and Israel. And he was in a position where he had to protect one tribe of Judah without offending or hurting all of the other tribes of Israel. So basically, he's stuck in the middle of a a family spat for seven and a half years. At one point, David even made plans to peacefully unite Judah which ruled over the, uh, with the other tribes of Israel through an alliance with this guy named Abner. But that plan was actually wrecked by a member of his own family, a guy named Joab. So he puts all of this together to peacefully unite all of the tribes, and it falls apart. Wrecked by somebody in his own family. That had to be frustrating for David. That had to be absolutely exhausting for David. Folks, the greatest challenge during delay between receiving the dream and the fulfillment of your dream is simply managing your own emotions. So to that end, I want to give you five strategies, five strategies for surviving the in-between time. Strategy number one, it'll really help. It'll really help you to survive the in-between time if you know and embrace your dream. What's the dream that God has given you? Why are you here? What's your purpose for sucking air and walking terra firma? Do you know why God put you here? If you don't have a dream, if you don't have a purpose that you're working toward, you're not living, you're existing. You need to start praying. If you don't have that purpose, if you don't have that dream, you need to start praying, God, give me your dream for my life. You're here on earth for a purpose, and when you discover that purpose, you'll discover the dream that God wants you to go after. Ephesians 2 and 10 says this, We just heard about this, Sister Millie. For you are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can come to church for an hour and a half on Sunday and come back to church for hopefully just an hour on Wednesday. He created us a new in Christ Jesus, so we can spread a little Christmas cheer once a year, have maybe a good Easter drama every once in a while. Come on, somebody. You're created for more. You're created for more. He created us a new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. He's had you in mind since eternity began. 
And he said, at this time, at this place, I want this part. He imagined you, and he put a purpose in your heart and a dream, a dream for you, a dream for your life. But do you know what it is? Have you asked him? Have you verbalized it? Come on, Nexters, have you written it down? Because it's not real until you write it down. If you're going to survive the in-between time, you've got to know what you're living for. A dream and a purpose will give you direction and a focus. You need to know and embrace your dream. Strategy number two, you need to make a decision. (laughs) Some of you need to make a decision. 15 minutes to decide whether you're going to have shrimp or catfish at the restaurant? Come on. You need to make a decision. If you've been dating her for four and a half years and you still don't know if she's the one, you need to make a decision. Maybe you've got a dream from God, but you've not made a decision to go after it. Can I just tell you, God wants you to go for it. God wants you to go for it. James 1, 6-8 says this, But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the, by the wind. Watch this. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because their loyalty. If you want it, you've got to decide to go for it. And the longer you wait to decide the longer you'll wait for fulfillment. But you start asking God about your dream. You start talking to God about your dream. Start talking to God about your promise. Start asking Him about your purpose. Make some decisions in your life that move you closer to it and watch what happens. Sometimes we just need one decision to push us past the tipping point. That's all it takes. One decision will help you survive the in-between time. So I want to encourage you here tonight. Make a decision. Take the class. Write the email. Make the phone call. Go on the trip. Call the company. Draw the rough sketch. Write the first paragraph. Just one decision, one decision is a powerful thing. So you need to know and embrace your dream. You need to make a decision. Strategy number three, you need to keep delay in the proper perspective. When things don't happen on our timetable, we tend to run ahead of God and create detours to make it happen. Don't detour. I don't see too many detours in Scripture that end well. Most end in disaster. You know, you're in God's waiting room for a reason. Wait on him to show his hand. God says that in Habakkuk 2 and 3, he says, this vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. God gave you a dream for a reason. And I hope as I'm going through this, there are some things that are kind of rattling around in your brain. And there's some things that may be tugging on your heart. 
But he put that dream in you for a reason. God gave you that passion for a reason. That gets your emotions up for a reason. You wake up in the morning thinking about that thing for a reason. It's the last thing you think about whenever your head hits the pillow at night for a reason. And I'm going to tell you this. I really believe this, and this is going to blow some of your minds. I don't believe God is cruel. So if that dream and that passion is in your heart and in your mind and it stays with you and he's not cruel, then that must mean that at some point he intends for that to come to fulfillment in your life because he is a good father. He doesn't promise you something and then withhold it just for kicks. He's working on you and he's preparing the stage Folks, we need to understand this. A delay is not a no. A delay is not a no. It might be a not yet. But it's not a no. My wife is an exceptional baker. Some of you know this firsthand. The girl knows how to bake a cake. There's a moment in the Cooper household whenever that cake is in the oven, whenever the aroma fills the house. Hopefully, it's chocolate with chocolate chip inside the cake. And it smells like it's ready to eat but it's not ready to come out of the oven yet. Frustration. Calamity. Delay. Who wants to eat a cake that's not done yet? Got a few weird ones in the house, but most of us are saying, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll take it whenever it's good and done. Folks, God doesn't deal in half-baked promises. And he doesn't deal in shoddily constructed dreams. He he wants nothing but the best for his kids. So if your dream is delayed, if you're in an in-between time waiting on your promise, can I just say it this simply? Maybe the cake isn't ready quite yet. I don't have scripture for that. I just thought it was a cool example. Know and embrace your dream. Make a decision. Keep delay in its proper perspective because God's not cruel. It's just not time yet. Stage four, expect difficulty. No biblical great saw fulfillment of his or her dream without difficulty. Every promise... Every promise comes with a process attached to it. And I haven't seen a process yet that doesn't have some difficulty involved. You will be tested. Expect it. You will be tested. Expect it. Don't let it take you by surprise. Don't think it's strange whenever it happens. 
And don't start to think you're the only person on the planet that it's ever happened to. It's part of the process. God's watching. Somebody listen to me tonight. God's watching. And he has not forgotten. He hasn't forgotten you. And he hasn't forgotten the promise that he gave you. First Peter 4 says it this way. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange is happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. I find it interesting in this passage that there's a connection between trials and the final revelation of glory. So when trials come, when difficulties come, that must mean that glory is right around the corner. You got to know and embrace your dream. It'll really help you to make a decision. Keep delay in its proper perspective. Expect some difficulty. The strategy number five, don't quit at the dead end. Some of you are at your dead end. You're there. You reached it last week. You reached it last year. You're at your dead end. And you're ready to give up. But you're right where God wants you. And He is preparing you for deliverance. God wants somebody to, say, to hear it tonight. Just hang on. Hang on. I could scream it in the microphone and get red in the face and spit everywhere, but it would not make it any more powerful or less powerful, hang on. Hang on. Second Corinthians 1, chapters, or chapter 1, verses 8 through 9 says this, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. Look, I, I don't pretend to understand it. I'm not even going to pretend to like it. But Scripture shows us over and over and over and over again, He's just a dead-end kind of God. He loves to step in at the last minute. Israel stuck between Egypt's army and the Red Sea. Jonah in the belly of a fish. Jesus on a cross and in a tomb. They all looked like dead ends. They all looked like hope was done. They all looked like the end of the line. Story's over. But that's just where he was getting started. So don't quit. God's not done. No matter how dead your end looks, don't quit. It'll really help you to know and embrace your dream, to make a decision, to keep delay in its proper perspective. You should expect some difficulty, but don't quit at the dead end. Just trying to give you some survival strategies for the in-between time.
You know, eventually, David walked into the fulfillment of God's promise, and he was anointed king, not just over one tribe, but over all of Israel. It just took some in-between time to get there. I found it interesting, though, that David wasn't unproductive while he was in Hebron. He had six sons while he lived in Hebron. I don't know how he fed them all. It must be part of being king, that you have a fridge big enough to feed six sons. He had a son named Amnon, which means faithful. He had another son named Absalom, father of peace. This is while he's in Hebron. He had another son named Adonijah, which means worshiper. He had another son named Shephathiah. That's hard to say, but it means the Lord defends. He had a son named Ethrium, which means excellence of the people. All good stuff. I like all that. I like some excellence of the people. I like the Lord defends. I like some peace and worship and faithful. But David also had another son named Shaliab, which means to refrain, restrict, or withhold. It's obvious to me that David felt the restriction, the withholding, while he lived in Hebron. But the Bible also tells us that David increased in strength while he was in Hebron. 2 Samuel 3 and 1 says this, That was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. As time passed, David became stronger and stronger while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? What happened as time passed? What happened during the in-between time? David grew stronger. And his enemy became weaker. Grace family, delay doesn't mean denial. And wait doesn't mean waste. God always, always has a purpose for the postponement of his promise. And we call that process. It's the in-between time. And you can survive it. You're not going to like it, but you can survive it. We typically end our next lessons on Sundays with next steps. See what I did there? They're just action steps, something to uh, try to engage people during the week. I want to give you a few action steps because I've got 58 seconds left. So if you're here tonight and you find yourself in an in-between time, just want to give you a few things to work on. First of all, don't complain. My wife just snickered. One of the biggest mistakes Israel made whenever they were in the wilderness was that they complained about everything. We don't mind waiting as long as we can complain. Don't complain, but do pray. In Luke 18 and 1, Jesus said, you must always pray and never lose heart. So basically, those are your two options. You can either pray or you can lose heart. So if you've lost heart, you need to pray. Pray, Lord, help me. Help me to hold on and not give up. Do remember the law of the harvest. 
because there's always a delay between sowing and reaping. The farmer doesn't put the seed in the ground on day one and then reap the harvest on day two. It doesn't work that way. There's always a delay between sowing and reaping. That's why Galatians tells us to not become weary in doing well because we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Another thing you should remember about harvest time is that harvest is always hard work. Farmers are exhausted during harvest time. Keep the laws of the harvest in mind. And then finally, do conduct yourself according to your calling, no matter your circumstance. What does that mean, Jason? Be loyal. Be productive. Act with honor. Let your words and actions show that you value the future more than the here and now. It's in between time, folks. It's in between time. I don't know that there's an easy way, but there is a way to survive it. Amen. Would you stand with me? We've got something pretty cool going to happen here in just a few minutes. And uh, we hope that you will hang out here at Grace for a little while so that they are letting me know it is time to stop. But uh, we're going to have a baptism here in just a few minutes. But uh, we hope you can stay for that. But let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to help us with our in-between times. Lord, you see and order every step. And every day of my life was written on your calendar before I was even born. So there's not a single delay, a single process, a single in-between time that's taken you by surprise. You've got this. And I believe that, and I trust your motives and intentions for my life. I don't know what kind of struggle that person here tonight is, is going through right now with their in-between time. Lord, maybe they feel dismissed or despised, or maybe they're just really struggling with the delay because it's been such a long time. Father, help them. Help them. Remind them of their purpose. Help them, Lord, to keep your goodness in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you love the Lord tonight? I know he loves you. God bless you. Just hang out. You can chill, have a seat, turn around, talk to somebody. It's going to be okay.